This is Crooksy. Let's give it up for Crooksy. And, and Jamie, you should just at least stand up. Just go ahead and stand up. This is, this is Crooksy's wife, Jamie. So, yep. All right. Thanks for being here. Yeah, for sure. You can take that. I can take my. Yes, you, you take your Apple product. I'll go for my Apple product and we'll all be happy. Sweet. My dudes, thanks so much for having us here today. We're really excited. Um, like Josh was saying, um, we're Irish. We moved here from Scotland. We're going back to Scotland. Um, I'm sure you are much more educated than those people on uh, the west side. But sometimes people aren't so sure that those two things are different things. Um, but sometimes people here call us Scottish, and I take it as a compliment. We, we love Scotland so much. Um, we're both Irish, but like our relationship kind of all happened in Glasgow. Like we got married in Glasgow. It kind of feels like our marriage is Scottish, even though we're both Irish, and uh, we're going back there to continue um, our lives in the city that we kind of call home. Um, Jamie is probably more open to moving back to Ireland than me. I'm kind of done with that. Um, I, I do, do really love Scotland, and like Josh was saying, before we moved here. We were working at a church in Glasgow called Rehope, and uh, we were the kids' pastors there. Um, I was part, or sorry, I was full-time, and Jamie was part-time so she could focus on her main gig as a speech and language pathologist. And um, we worked there kind of, I don't know, yeah, like our roles kind of evolved as the church grew, so like about six or seven years. And uh, then when we moved here, um, Jimmy stepped into like full-time ministry, and we're both the kids' pastors at Westside at Jesus Church, and we've been here for, yeah, like three, just over three years, and we've loved it. We've loved it so much. Like Josh said, we met at a conference, and it's been like a fast friends kind of thing, and I think we've connected so much over like shared values. Like we seem to be really about the same things, and like even being in, in your building here, is really like familiar to what we know and it, it's really similar to what we're going back to. And I'm gonna show you the whole thing um, soon. I'll give you a little tour. Um, so we are going back to Rehope. We worked in a West End location. We're gonna be going back to work at their South Side uh, location. Um, it's, it's got a different flavor, but it's all good. Um, I'm gonna be sharing with you today out of Psalm 23. I say Psalm and not Psalm just so we can adjust and get to know each other. And those L's are silent for us, just so you don't look up like 1 Samuel 23 and think what's going on, what's he talking about? Psalm 23. If you've got a Bible with you today and you wanna take this moment to flick that open, that'd be cool. If you don't have one with you today, no problem. The words will actually be up on the screen as I'm reading them. So you're all good, you can follow along there. Uh, Psalm 23 has played a big part in how God guided us to Portland in the first place. And it has been really helpful, especially for me, to frame and like kind of process our time here as we think about moving on to the future. So I really hope that God will speak through his word and, and how it has impacted our experiences so that it can help you navigate whatever circumstances you find yourself in. So Psalm 23 goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a classic. If you've been around church for any length of time, you might be pretty familiar with that. It is kind of a classic. But if you're new to church, and if you're new to the Bible, and you're hearing that for the first time, you're probably even at like a little bit of an advantage to people like me. Because sometimes when you get so familiar with something, it can kind of lose its meaning a little bit, or at least the way it can impact you gets reduced. So if you're hearing that for the first time, you're in a prime spot for God to have like maximum impact. But maybe your experience is, is that you do know this psalm pretty well. 
and you might have experienced something like what I experienced where sometimes these things, you're reading them and you're like, yeah, 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 cool, 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 blah, 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 boom, it hits you. And when it hits you, it really hits you. And that's been my experience of Psalm 23. It sucker punched me a couple of times in the best way possible. And I would love to tell you about that today. It starts with those iconic words, the Lord is my shepherd. And it makes sense for David to write about that because he's relating to God out of a position of familiarity. He used to work as a shepherd. He knows what it's like to be a shepherd. So he can spot God doing shepherdy things for him really easily. But he also has professional experience of sheep. He knows what sheep are like. And in this poem, he is relating to God, not as the shepherd, but as a sheep because he knows sheep and he knows what sheep are like and he can recognize when he is doing sheepy things. And that's important because sometimes we can read this psalm and think it is like the rest and relaxation and restoration psalm and it's good and it's peaceful and that's great and that's there and that is good. But there's more to it because all the way through this poem, there's like tension and at the start, it's just lying under the surface. Because it sounds like David's in a really good place, do you know? Like he lacks nothing. He's in green pastures with still waters. And those are the things that sheep need. And, and he's being refreshed by God. And God is guiding him. And that sounds great. So where is the tension then? And it is subtle. It's lying under the surface. And we can kind of spot it um, with the verb choice in verb two. Like his shepherd makes him lie down. And you could imagine that's like God is like grabbing him and forcing him to the ground, but that would kind of be weird. Or maybe it's like God is giving a command to lie down. But that sounds more like a sheep dog thing rather than a sheep thing. And the way that I read this is that God is bringing David to do a thing that if left to his own devices, he wouldn't naturally do. Like God is making him do that by drawing him to do that. And David gets what sheep are like, and he gets that when their heads are down, eating that green grass and drinking that still water, that they don't see what's going on around them, and they can end up wandering off. And he knows sheep are prone to wander off. He knows what they're like, so he needs to know that he needs to be aware that there might be some underlying tension. He gets that, and I feel like I should get that too. I used to be an elementary school teacher. And I'm not going to relate to God as a shepherd, but I can relate to him as a teacher. And I can spot God doing teachery things in my life like pretty quickly. But I also know what it's like to have students learn from me. I know what it's like to be a learner myself. So I kind of have that same like shepherd sheep, teacher learner, like double relationship thing that David has going on. But it's just like my own translation. And I also know that if you have a room of like 30 third graders, and they're all working hard, and it's peaceful and calm in the room, that it won't last very long. <laughs> and like one little distraction leads to one little interruption, and then if you leave that unaddressed, it's chaos because third graders are fun, and they like to have fun. What would I expect? Just because they're working real hard now doesn't mean that that is gonna last forever. Of course not. What would I expect? Third graders are fun and they like to have fun. And David knows sheep and he knows that just because this is a peaceful, tranquil moment right now that it's not gonna last forever. Sheep are sheep, what would he expect? And he knows that in good moments or in good seasons, maybe especially in those moments or seasons, we need to stay shepherdable. And here's what I'm talking about. It's Wednesday, it's January 17th, 2018, and Jimmy and I are working at Rehope as their kids' pastors, and we are joining the church in spending five days fasting and praying for five things for the church and then four things that we have chosen personally. We've got these little cards where you can write down the things you're praying for so that you can remember them and remember to pay attention so you can spot how God is answering. Um, here's my card. It's going to come up on the screen in just a little moment. There it is. And we have been through a lot, me and this card. It's very precious to me. So when it was in my wallet that flew out of my pocket on a roller coaster, I was worried, but the fine folks at Six Flags sent it right back to me and we were reunited. I love them forever. More recently, I put it through the washer. 
But we've been through a lot, me and that card, since that week of prayer. We started that week on Monday, and I was asking God some specific questions, and I wanted some specific answers, and so far I heard nothing. It's been radio silence. And you can see that I'm asking where and when and who, specific questions, because I wanted to plant a church. And we had been praying for a new location of Rehope to open up for like a bunch of years. And when it did open up, I was going to be the lead of it. And I was excited, really excited, and just getting to be a little bit impatient about it. See, I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to know when we were going to be planting this church. I wanted to know where it would be. I wanted to know who I would ask to support us. I wanted to know like who I should ask to like plant with us and be on our core teams. I wanted to know all of that stuff. And so far, nothing. Monday, nothing. Tuesday, nothing. And it gets to Wednesday morning and the Rehope staff team got together to pray as we always did. And we started praying through Psalm 23, and I had still heard nothing. Okay, so I'm setting this story up with a little bit of tension because storytelling. But it's not to say that this season of our lives was defined by tension and impatience and disappointment. Actually, that season of our lives was like really sweet and wonderful. And God's favor was on us in a really big way. And we had just seen a season where God moved like it was crazy, like over half of the kids at our church gave their lives to Jesus in the course of just a few months. And we were, week on week, we were hearing story after story of kids at home with their parents making decisions for Jesus and deciding to live their whole lives for him, like week on week on week on week. It was incredible, easily the most satisfying and wonderful season of ministry that we had had to that point. It was just, it was amazing. The church is called Rehope, and uh, we have been praying for like a bunch of years for reawakening in the city of Glasgow. Like we believe that Rehope exists to set the foundations for long-lasting reawakening in Glasgow. And we kind of had expectations of how that reawakening might look, but we didn't think it was going to look like this. The kids' ministry is called We Hope, because that's cute, right? And we started talking about the We Awakening and it was real, and it was happening in front of our eyes, and it was amazing, and just really fun to be part of something special that God was doing in the next generation in that city. So there's a little bit of impatience and a little bit of tension, but I hope I'm painting a picture of how joyful and wonderful that season of our lives was. We weren't planning to move on anywhere, but we were kind of starting to think about what was next, and sure, a little bit of impatience was creeping in, we wanted answers to those questions. I wanted answers to those questions. And I got my answer on that Wednesday morning through Psalm 23, and the answer that I got was, wait. That was not the answer that I wanted, but it was the answer that I got, so it was the answer that I accepted. And I was like, okay, God, I'll wait, sure. It was a good time for us. It was pastures green for sure, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but my heart was just starting to creep a little bit ahead of God's timing, do you know? And then he made me lie down when I wanted to get going. And he taught me what it was like to stay shepherdable in a good season, because we don't always see the full picture, do you know? And sheep don't always see the full picture like the shepherd does. They've got their heads down eating the grass and drinking the water. The shepherd has a head up watching for any danger. Sheep, like me, don't always see the full picture. We definitely, definitely didn't. And when I was told to wait, I still didn't even know what I was waiting for. I didn't find that out until May 3rd when I saw an Instagram post advertising a job on the kids team at Westside. And how that ended up happening, man, I have no idea. Because, I mean, look at this. This has to be the least eye-catching thing that there has ever been. No harm to whoever designed that, but the Lord was at work making sure that Jamie and I saw that because psh, I'm swiping past that big time. And besides, we had no plans to move on, like moving to Portland in our 30s. Psh, where did that come from? Jamie and I flirted with moving to London at a time, but then we decided, no, like Glasgow is home 
we're rooted here, we're staying, we're like Glasgow lifers. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Portland. All right, okay. <laughs> when God says go, turns out you go. And when he leads you, it turns out you follow. And that's what we did. Kind of seems a bit crazy still sometimes, but it's been good. The Lord is our shepherd and he's a good one. He's the good one. And John chapter 10 sheds a little bit more light on that. And in that chapter, Jesus is teaching the a bunch of people and he is mixing his metaphors all over the place. He's the good shepherd and he leads sheep, but he's also the door to the sheep pen. So sheep come in through him. So he is leading people through himself and it's getting complicated, but the people follow when Jesus leads people through himself, he says they go in and they go out and they find pasture. God leads people in and he leads people out. And we have seen that in this season of life. I don't know what uh, your experience here has been like, but it turns out some people have left Portland and moved to Idaho. And it turns out some people are leaving Portland to move to Scotland. And it turns out some people are moving to Portland. And if your experience at Door of Hope is anything like our experience at Westside, you'll have found that some people are being led back to church and God is leading them to a place where they can find pasture. Some people are going in, some people are going out, but we are all finding pasture. And if you are someone who's reconnected with church over like this last little season and you've been away for a hot minute, or if you're someone who's connected with church for the first time recently, I want you to hear something from me and I want you to hear it real good. Well done. Well done for being shepherdable in a, like not in a good time, in a hard time. You heard his voice. Maybe you didn't recognize it as that at the time, but you heard his voice and you followed his leading and you're here and you will find pasture here. It's good that you're here, well done. And since you're here, stay shepherdable. You've done good by being led, stay being led because he leads us down the right paths for his name's sake. Isn't it exciting to think about what God could do in you and through you just because you were paying attention enough to actually do what he is calling you to do? I mean, I could never imagine moving to Portland. I could never imagine the scenario when Jamie and I moved and lived and worked in this city I couldn't imagine how exciting this adventure could have been. But just because we don't see the full picture in any given moment, doesn't mean God doesn't have something for us. We did not see the full picture, we didn't see it coming. But it has been so good. The city is really special to us. We're gonna remember our time here forever. It's made us better people. God has been doing something special in us and we're gonna take the city with us back to Glasgow. It's been good to be here and it's been right to be here. I had a little epiphany a couple of months ago, and it's really helped me to shape my thinking about our time here and frame our thoughts as we prepare to move home. And here's my conclusion. And stick with me before you react, because it will make sense, I promise. My conclusion is this. Portland is my valley of the shadow of death. It's not the value of the shadow of death. It's just mine. Our time here has been great, but it has been hard. It's my valley of the shadow of death. Here's how I reached that conclusion. So with this psalm, I feel like we want to break it up into three sections. There's the like rest and restoration section, and then there's the evil, oh my gosh, how did I end up here without my shepherd section? And then there's the, oh, phew, it's fine, God made everything okay in the end section. And that's kind of how we can think about it sometimes. Like it's even the way that I set the type on the screens for today. But that's not the way that David wrote it. There's no gap in between verse three and four. Those ideas are connected. David did put a break between verses four and five, but three and four, they are connected. So that's better. It should go something like, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though 
I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There is a big difference between this is a nice place with Jesus. Oh my gosh, how did I end up here? And the way that David writes this poem. He's not trying to make us think that we might end up wandering away to a scary place without Jesus. He's showing us that when Jesus leads us, it is down the right path for his name's sake. And sometimes, sometimes the right path and the darkest valley are the same path. And sometimes we think like we wandered off and Jesus isn't here anymore. No, he's there. You're with me, protecting me. It's important to see that Jesus is with us in our hard times. And when I realized this and realized how he wanted and led us down a hard path, that completely changed the way I thought about our time in Portland. Portland is my darkest valley. It's my valley of the shadow of death. And that's weird because it sounds like an insult, but it's not. When I was telling this story to the congregation at Westside, after the service, a lady came up to me and she said, oh, when you were talking about the darkest valley, I just thought, yeah, Kate Brown. And I was like, that's not what I said. Maybe you don't like Kate Brown. I don't really have super opinions on her, but I said I was thankful for my valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't sound like you're thankful for Kate Brown. That's not what I said. So let's not, let's not apply any crazy, like any anythings on anything. I'm saying I love Portland. I'm saying it's special to me. I'm saying being here has been hard. If you ask me to sum up our time in Portland in just one word, I would say that it has been rewarding. And you know what it's like when you have to work really hard for something, then that's when it feels the most rewarding. Do you know what I mean? Like it didn't come, e didn't come easy. And we have had like maybe three main seasons of our time here. The first one was when we just arrived and it, everything was new and exciting and weird and hard. And we were trying to figure out how we could be us in a new culture. Even the like everyday boring normal stuff was hard. Like, you can imagine the hoops we had to jump through just to try and get a cell phone contract. Like, it was like we were beamed down from an alien planet as these like 30-year-olds with no credit history. What have you been doing for your whole life? You think I'm going to give you a cell phone? You're cute. <laughs> the only way we were able to do that was because we joined our boss's family plan like we were some weird oversized teenagers. <laughs> Even the normal everyday stuff was weird and hard. And professionally, we moved here so that we could breathe some fresh life into Westside Kids. And we had to pick that ministry up off its knees. And we had to like, help faithful leaders who had given everything but who were tired out. We had to help them to get to know us, and, and we had to get to know them so that we could build up trust with them so we could do this thing together. That doesn't happen overnight. It takes hard work. It takes dedication. And just when we were starting to get somewhere, season two, and it's COVID. And you can't access your job anymore. And the primary purpose for us being here was suddenly like taken away for us. Our purpose is under attack. What are we doing? Should we move home? Is giving going to go down? We're get, still getting paid, but we're doing all this online stuff. Is that worth it? Is the honorable thing to do to resign and move home? We were just like, I don't know. I mean, hindsight was, was very helpful, but at the time we were just like, ah. We haven't seen our family in over two years. We have a nephew who we last saw when he was six months old. Um, he's about to turn three. We have another nephew that we've never met, and he's about to turn one. And we miss our family so much. It's been hard to be here. Like, you can't access your job. You miss your family. And add on to that, like, the biggest racial reckoning of a generation and the important role that our city played in that and how we fit as, like, white Irish people and how do we interact with what is going on in America. Sometimes it felt like we were at our friend's house and they were having a fight with their parents. And we don't, know how, we don't know how to do this. But we, had, we have people at our church at Westside, people of color who were so patient and gracious with naive people like me 
who thought they didn't have any racial biases? Come on, friend. And they helped us to confront our own racial biases and to repent from them. And I genuinely, genuinely know how hard it, it is when your heart drops because you didn't think that you were racist at all and then you realize that in some ways you, you don't mean to, but you do racist things sometimes. And I know that that, uh, that time wasn't the hardest for me. I know people find that harder, of course. But whenever you have to confront your demons, sometimes that is hard, but worth it. Oh boy, worth it. We're about to move home to one of the most ethnically diverse areas of any city in the UK. Idiot languages are spoken in this one little area of Glasgow and without those people of color who forgive us for when we were like naively dumb and stupid and wrong and helped us to grow in that. I would say I don't know where I would be without them, but I know exactly what I would do without them. I would offend a whole bunch of people. And I hope that when we go back, I can be a little bit more sensitive and a little bit more understanding and a little bit more listening and helping people in our community to understand that Jesus loves them. And um, there's a huge Muslim population in the south side of Glasgow, and we want, to know, we want them to know that we don't view them as enemies, and we hope that they don't view us as enemies and we can work together. And that can be fun. I wouldn't be able to do that without our time in Portland. I'm so thankful. Was it hard? Yes. Was it worth it? You bet. Every single second. And then you move into season three and it's rebuilding and we're trying to rebuild Westside Kids after lockdown. And we're trying to rebuild like Westside as a whole over lockdown. And now we're kind of trying to do all that like helping out with that, but also like more like rehope stuff is kind of landing on our plate and we're almost like trying to rebuild two churches at once. And that's like, feels draining sometimes, but it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be good. Like our time here has been great. So rewarding, so, so rewarding. Portland is my valley of the shadow of death. It is also without doubt the right path that Jesus led us down and that has completely changed how I saw things. And it wasn't until I called out hard stuff for what it actually is that I got to see that even in the difficulty, there is stuff to be thankful for as we walk through it. I mean, thankful for, maybe we can be thankful in it. Maybe I'm not necessarily super thankful for it yet. I mean, maybe I'll be more thankful when I actually get to see my mum and, and the walk through the valley is done. But thankful in it, yeah, I can do that. And I can do that because I have confidence that God led Jimmy and I here and he has been with us and he's done that for his name's sake. So I wonder what your valley of the shadow of death is and like, where is God leading you? Maybe he's leading you to do something that you know is gonna be difficult, but you know is gonna be good. And if you can relate to that sentiment, then I, I, I wanna tell you something today and, and I want you to be sure of it that it's a good thing to be led to that place and it'll be hard, but it'll be worth it. And remember that Jesus is with you and he is willing and able to protect you as you walk through that hard time. You can trust him. So put your trust in your shepherd, he's got you. And if that sounds like something that you're needing to learn and grow in in this season, then I'm glad that I've got you for company because this is what I have been needing to grow in in this season. I started doing kids ministry when I was 18 years old. On my next birthday, I will be 38, and that's 20 years, and that's over half my life. And the idea of leaving Portland feels scary enough but the idea of leaving something that, I mean, not many kids pastors have 20 years of experience. I kind of know what I'm doing at this point. So leaving something that I'm really secure in to go to something that I'm gonna be brand new at feels intimidating and, and feels scary, but I know that God is with me. And I know that he leads people in and he leads people out and they find pasture. So I'm choosing to see my trust grow. And I'm also trying to nurture that trust. And I'm starting with thankfulness and rejoicing. And if you would like to grow in your trust in this season, I could recommend 
thankfulness and rejoicing because nothing is going to go to war on fear and apprehension in your heart, like thinking, what has God done for me lately? And writing them all out so you can see them right there in front. If you grab a notebook, grab a pen, and pray and say, Father, I know that you're with me. I'm about to do this thing, and I'm betting it's going to be hard. But please, Bring to mind all the things that you've done for me lately. Bring to mind the ways you have protected me. Bring to mind the good things that you've given me and just write them all down in a big list. And then pray through each one of those, celebrating with him, like thanking him for them and watch your encouragement grow. Watch your comfort grow and watch fear just get pushed out of your heart. Your trust will grow for sure. Because that's what David does in this last section of Psalm 23. He's just listing good stuff that God does. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Five good things that God does for him. But note, the bad guys are still there. God hasn't taken his problems away. But the evidence of him trusting in God despite the problems is also there. He's got his enemies. He's not scared of him. So with them there, David can list all the good things and he can testify to Yahweh's goodness to him because he is so confident in God's goodness that he doesn't need to worry about his enemy staring him right in the face and his problems staring him right in the face. And it's a weird transition for us in this poem that we kind of think like, oh, it's really good for a minute. Oh, I'm in a scary place. Whew, God makes it fine. So when we see that the bad guys are still there, it's kind of jarring for the way that we normally think about this poem, and it's the opposite way of we, the way we normally think about stuff. In the start of the poem, there is calm and peace, but there's underlying tension. And from there, they end up in a place where enemies and difficulties are staring them right in the face, but he's not worried about them, and he's able to celebrate that God is good. It's kind of the opposite way that we think about things because sometimes we would rather be in the calm place as long as we have enough naivety or denial to keep those tensions under the surface. We'd way rather just be like, oh, let's pretend everything is fine than get constant reminders that we are up against it, we're up against it, we're up against it. But also God is good, but we're up against it. Sometimes we'd rather choose that, but that's not where the Psalm says that we should be. That's not the good place. This is the good place. Because when we are naive or in denial of our problems, our complacency can go up and then our trust goes down. But when we are getting constant reminders of our problems, our reliance on God goes up and our trust goes up. So which one would you rather have? And while we're at it, which one do you relate to more? Do you feel like right now your life is in a season of peace and tranquility? Or do you feel like you're getting constant reminders that sometimes things are really hard? We've just met. I'm not trying to tell you what you feel, but I'm going to go with a pretty safe bet that we're reminded of our problems quite a lot in 2020 and 2021. And this Sam says that is the good place to be because our reliance will go up. And our trust in God will go up. And that's good. God is with you. He anoints you. He blesses you. At the start, the sheep have all they need. And that's good. But at the end, there's feasts and abundance and overflow and anointing. I'd invite you to choose which one you'd rather have. That transition in this psalm hit me. It hit me big time. Back in 2018, when we were doing that week of prayer, and that Wednesday morning, God spoke to me through Psalm 23, and the thing specifically was the line, my cup overflows. And specifically, it was the fact that overflows is a present tense verb, and God was saying, your cup overflows now, so don't be thinking about moving on to the next thing. Wait, stay in this overflow moment now. And I was like, okay, cool, I get it. But now, I kind of feel a little bit more like the next two verses, because in those verses, the tense of the verb shifts to the future tense. Do you know, surely your goodness and love will. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David is showing us that because God has been good to us in the past and in the present, we can put our trust in him to be good to us 
in the future, and I love that right now, like I'm clinging to that right now, because Jamie and I, of course, are starting to look to the future, and we want to put our hope in him for real. We want to stay shepherdable when things seem good. We've walked the darkest path. It's made us thankful, and now we're putting our hope in him. The week after Jamie and I committed to move to Portland, we got some news. See, we had been praying for a new location to open up at Rehope. We'd been praying for like six years without any real breakthrough. We'd seen a couple of false dawns, but no real breakthrough. And then the week after we committed to move here, we got some news that Rehope had bought a new building. There was going to be a new location. It was going to need some leaders. It wasn't going to be us. And I just like took it. I just absorbed the news. But Jamie, like, Jamie got really upset. She just burst into tears, which is so surprising because I am the overly emotional one. And she is emotionally very consistent and stable. So her reaction was pretty surprising, but totally understandable. Like, so understandable because it felt like this thing that we had been praying for and hoping for for years just, just at the last minute just passed us by. And then fast forward to February 2019, and we hope Southside just launched, and we are in Tigard, Oregon. <laughs> and the answer to years of our prayers has come. We're not even there to celebrate it. It was such a weird time, do you know, because you're so th- joyful and thankful that God finally answered those prayers, but you're sad that you don't get to be there and celebrate with your dudes. And you're so convinced that Portland is the right place for us, but so wishing that we could be at home with our people. It was weird. And again, Jamie felt it a lot. And she prayed with a couple of ladies who work at our church. And then one of them spent the next 48 hours running around our new friends and... Um, they all like contributed a little bit of money so that um, we could buy like return plane tickets to Glasgow to celebrate with our friends. They gave us $1,800. We'd only known them for four months. God is good, my dudes, and he knows what we need. It's good. So here we are on that trip. Um, I had different hair then. And uh, we're hanging out with like one of our like young, or some of our young friends from We Hope. And uh, it, it was great, and we're just blissfully unaware that someday God is going to call us back and de- uh, give us the responsibility of leading like, those people in that place. We just didn't know. And uh, she seems more excited about the confetti than to meet me again, but I get it. The confetti's pretty exciting, and I'm glad that she got to celebrate even though we didn't at the time. But listen... Confetti's pretty exciting. I'm maybe not that exciting. I get it. Our time here has been fun. It's been so sweet to plant some Glasgow seeds in Portland. We're really excited for bringing the stuff that we've learned here back to Glasgow. And it's really exciting to have another community um, interested in getting behind us so that we can feel even more connected with what is going on in Portland, what God is doing here. And we love that. This city is so special to us. And um, we're delighted to have like shared a little bit of your city for a little bit of time. We're delighted to take that home. And we're delighted that you guys are interested in sharing in the continuation of this story. Because our story with Portland will continue. And what God has done in us and through us will shape our church in Glasgow. This story isn't done. So it's nice to be connected with people even after we leave. It looked like the Rehope ship had sailed for us. And it looks like we had missed it. But then a bolt out of the blue, things developed. When we met Josh at that conference, none of this was a thing. That was June, none of it was a thing. But a bolt out of the blue, our buddy Ruth, who has been leading Rehope Southside since it was planted, uh, she resigned to figure out what was next for her. And we were approached, Jamie and I, to lead Rehope Southside together and take it into the future. And I've told you the story, and you know it goes back years, so it kind of felt like it was a long time coming, but it also just felt like it came out of nowhere all at the same time. And then we had to tell uh, our church leaders that uh, we were going to move home, and we met with uh, a couple of them. And uh, one of those leaders summed up in, like, our feelings in words that we didn't quite have yet. 
He was talking about how sometimes you have a vision for something and then that dream seems to have died. But out of that, God births a supernatural vision for your church. And he was talking about how that had happened to him and he said that sounds a lot like what's going on here. And we were both like, yeah, no kidding. It sounds exactly like what's going on here. Glasgow is a really fun city. It's about the same size as Portland, not the metro area. And anyway, if people who live in Wilsonville think they live in Portland, they're kidding themselves. So Glasgow's population is about the same size as like Portland, Portland. And it's, it's got a lot in common, you know? It's got the same like post-industrial vibe. It's got the same like distinct neighborhoods with unique flavors thing. It's got the same like river running through the middle of the city that kind of acts as a border for some of those neighborhoods. Um, it's got some of the same social challenges. Um, it's, it's a lot like Portland. And just like Portland, the west of the city is kind of more suburban and the east is a more real, like authentic expression of what the city is, no is actually like. And Glasgow's south side is kind of a blend of those two things. And it's an area of the city that we know really well. So up on the screen, here's a little map. This is where Rehope Southside is. And this is the last school that I ever taught in when I was an elementary school teacher. It's literally around the corner. And if we zoom out a little bit, this kind of low-lighted area is where Jamie did so much of her community visits when she was a speech and language pathologist. We know this area of the city really well. We've been contributing to this area of the city already, and we're so excited to like take what we've already been had done, take what Rehope Southside has already been doing, and, and merge that to make it something even more beautiful. That's really exciting. Do you guys want a tour? Yeah, okay. So this is Rehope Southside, and when you head through the main door, and you reach the entranceway, it looks like this, and then you first get into the sanctuary, which is, is pretty nice. And uh, right up at the back, we've got this beautiful, you wanna see that stained glass in all its glory? Here it goes, boom, so lovely. And the view from up there is pretty special too. Do you see what I'm saying about like some similarities between what we've got and what you guys have got? It's fun. I really wanted to have a church that looks like a church and feels like a church. And I really wanna have something so that people, if they've been to church before, because a lot of uh, people here coming to Rehope Southside have had an experience of church in the past that maybe didn't go so well, and there's some hurt there, but they come back here and they see something that is familiar, but just kinda done in a better, safer way. We want that. but. Maybe only like 2% of Scotland's population would identify as following Jesus. So for most people, the only real reference point that they have for what the inside of a church looks like is from the pubs that have been turned into churches. But I would really like to leverage that for good because I want a church that feels like a community hub. I want a church that feels welcoming. I want a church that is like a bring your friends place, a like have a laugh place. I want a church that is like, this is something that, this is somewhere that contributes to our community. So pubs do that in Scotland. That's a role that they play. So if we can leverage that energy and apply it to church, I would love that. If people come in and they think, oh, that looks like the church on the hill, which is a church that got turned into a pub around the corner and they immediately feel at ease. I love that. I love that. I'm really excited for that. We've also got a space for our young dudes. Here's our little pre-K room. And for our less young dudes, this is where the kids' ministry goes. And fun fact, the church was built in 1909. And in just four years, the people flooding to the church, it had grown so much that they needed to build that whole big sanctuary on the side. This is the original church. It grew so much in four years, they had to build a whole other church. So I love that the kids meet in church and the adults meet in church. That's the way it should be. What Joe was saying earlier, I'm a kid's pastor, like what Joe was saying earlier about this isn't childcare, this isn't babysitting, this is church for kids. And I love that our, our kids meet in a church for kids. 
and the grown-ups meet in a church for kids. We're all just trying to follow Jesus the best we can. And I don't care what age you are. You're a Jesus follower. It's church. I love that. Since it's its own place, it's got its own door. And that means like we can let people in and out, like have other community groups coming in. We can contribute and we can be a resource to our community. I'm really excited for that. But not pictured are any ramps. Um, we have an old building, and currently we are investigating how we can make our building accessible to people who, who can't do stairs. And um, that's, that's a big thing that we need to think about. Also not pictured is a kitchen. We've already had community groups approach us about if we can use a kitchen to provide meals for vulnerable people in the community. And we said, no, we can't do that. We don't have a kitchen. Also not pictured is a functioning heating system. And if you know anything about Glasgow, it's not, it's not the tropics. But that feels like such a big job that I don't, even, I don't even want to think about it for now. You guys have got like an old, beautiful building, and you know that sometimes one little job can turn into six big jobs in just that. So we'll take things one step at a time. And that starts with getting to know our church. And it starts with getting reacquainted with the South Side. It is such a beautiful and diverse uh, community. We can't wait to get back into it. Uh, we have got some little handouts with us that um, have a bunch of info about Glasgow Southside, about our vision for Rehope Southside, and what we kind of need to make that happen, and what kind of financial gifts could really help us to do what we believe God is calling us to do in the Southside. So if you're curious about the city, about us, about Rehope, um, if you would like to pray for us, or if you would like to prayerfully consider financially contributing to God's work in Glasgow. We would love to talk with you after this gathering. We'll be over at the info space. Um, I mean, Jamie is really nice and I'm secretly nice. So come and talk to us. We'd love to talk with you. Okay, Psalm 23. I'm looking at this journey that this dude goes on and it starts off in a good place with some underlying tension. We need to be careful not to be naive to danger and then we end up seeing someone who is really confident and secure even though there's enemies all around them. How did he get from there to there? He got there by walking the darkest path. He got there by walking the valley of the shadow of death with his savior, with his shepherd. And since God has proven himself to be trustworthy in the past, he'll prove himself to be trustworthy in the future. And I'm hoping on that. Our church wouldn't be what it's gonna be without Portland. We wouldn't be the people that we're gonna be without Portland. I'm, I'm proud to have walked this valley of the shadow of death. I'm glad to have shared the valley with you. And I mean that as a compliment, something that has changed my life for good, for better. This is gonna be fun, you guys. We're really excited. We're really excited to partner with you. I feel like we've got so much in common and uh, I'm sure this is not going to be the last time you see me. I really hope it's not going to be the last time you see me. Um, let's pray um, before we keep going with our gathering. And God, we want to say that we love you. Like you are, you're a good shepherd. And we recognize that. And we declare we can trust you. You know that things are hard and you're ready for it. God, so I pray for this community. I pray for this church that forms a big part of this community and I ask that you help them as they walk through dark moments themselves and as you build their trust and their security in you, God, I pray that they will do amazing things. God, I pray for connections between Rehope and Dorof Hope and uh, I pray for the start of a beautiful friendship. We put it all in your hands. You're really good and we love you so much. Amen. Amen. Crixie, before you go down. So, um, hey, Jamie, can you come up here really quick? So, uh, you know, there's so much that Crixie shared in the story today. By the way, I, I remember hearing, um, I think it was D.L. Moody, uh, there was a, a thing that he said that the greatest pastors are, are those that actually served in kids' ministry. Um, and D.L. Moody himself, who is probably the greatest, one of the greatest evangelists that the world's ever produced, his beginning was sharing he wanted to do kids ministry at a church that had no kids and they said go find some kids so we got a mule and some bags of candy i don't get them in and then <laughs> lured the children that would be illegal today yep. um, but uh but it worked um 
But it was, but it was, it, it, there is something, and I just noticed that, Crixia, just such a gifting of, of, you can tell that you've spent years learning how to communicate the gospel clearly, because if you can, what Moody said, if you can explain the gospel to children, that will actually allow you to be a person that's able to explain the gospel to anyone. So uh, I'm so excited about this vision. I mean, even seeing the church, I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm going with them. I'm going right now. I'm sorry, guys. We love you. Microphone drop. No. Um, you know, that even the vision of, of Door of Hope, when we started, I remember the Oregonian asked me a question. We did an interview because we were growing so fast. And, and uh, they said, what, what's your goal? And I said, it's just a race against McMinimins. That, that was <laughs> so um, I really am excited about what God is going to do through these two. I always wanted you to see their faces. I think that um, Door of Hope is in a really unique rebuilding season. It's exciting where we're thinking as elders and as a leadership kind of through all the ways that we can be the most impactful in a time where I think people are more open to the gospel than ever before. As Crixie said, Jesus doesn't remove the trials, but he does promise to be our peace in the midst of them. And in fact, I would argue that the peace that Jesus brings is he frees us from the need to be free from those difficulties so that we can engage fully in, in difficult places like Glasgow and like Portland. And so I think it would be only appropriate for us as a church to pray over them and bless them. If you have questions you want to support, he, Crixie laid out a lot of needs that the church has. Um, we're praying as a church about how we could partner with them, but also um, God um, may put it on some of your hearts to support them financially. This is not uh, an easy endeavor, and it's in a city and in a country that there's just not a lot of people that identify um, as followers of Jesus. And so um, please go talk to them and, and give them your support and encouragement, um, and I pray open up your wallets and support them. So um, let's pray over them, though. So if you could put a hand out toward them, and let's pray for them right now. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for these two. I thank you for their friendship, and I just remember just meeting them that weekend in Lake Tahoe and just being drawn to them. And, and Crooksy's right. He's secretly nice because he was kind of scary, but I really wanted him to like me. I'm glad he did. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, I thank you for these two and their passion um, for the gospel and just, just the gentleness um, and the encouragement of the word given today. And I just pray for blessing over this church. I pray that so many would come to you amongst the children, amongst the adults, that it would be um, just a, a place of light and comfort and peace in the midst of a, of a difficult time in the world, not just here in Portland. And so I pray that, that this would be a place of hope um, as the name that their church carries um, I pray that it would be exactly that, where people would find uh, the door of hope that is you. Uh, thank you that it is the valley of trouble um, that becomes the door of hope, even in Scripture. And so, Lord, we love you. Um, we thank you for these two. And we just pray protection over them, blessing. Dreams do sometimes have to die before they can be resurrected. And we thank you that you have resurrected this dream for these two. And you have prepared them for a time such as this. Go with them now, Lord, we pray in your name. And all of God's people said, amen.